From the land of conjurers, flying through the internet to your device like a UAP, hauntingly unexplained and downright weird, this is the Witching Hours and we are ready to take off in the flash of an eye. Good evening to one and all, wherever and whenever you are listening to this program. I am China the Frost and joining me as always is the medium Jenny Lee. How are you doing, medium Jenny Lee? Oh, I think you're muted. <laughs> oh yes i'm doing fairly well thank you <laughs> i was busy pinning the website robert's website to the top of the chat there we go we got another yeah. blooper for the reel there it's all right yeah <laughs> got a bunch. they just keep coming yeah that's pretty much every time yeah yeah oh, well no, we've got we've gotten better off we go uh <laughs> so um still no break to our weather it's been it says it's getting cooler, and I guess it is cooler, but it's still been hot across the Mid-Atlantic here in the uh, southern part of Virginia. It was cooler today. A, a little, little cooler. Bit. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. not hoodie weather yet. I think at this point I'm done with the summer. I'm ready for some... <laughs> yes. It's been hot, yeah. folks. We, we, I think we had about a week of uh, over 100, and, you know, with, with, the, with the humidity to go with it. So we have gotten some rain, so I know we had talked about before we were going through quite a bit of a drought here but we've gotten quite a bit of rain lately so that's been mm -hmm. good so i hope uh, the weather is good for you wherever you are uh, i know that's been a topic of conversation here uh with all the brutal weather people have been getting recently i saw well before we get into floods there is some uh flooding going on in africa right now i think and oh no yeah so you know it's it's always somewhere and of course hurricane season there's been a lot of big storms that are kicking up out there so we'll hope for the best mm -hmm. as we keep going along through the fall here uh, are you ready for some news? Absolutely. The weirder the better. Okay, well, it, you know, you always said there's no, you know, no such thing as coincidences, and we'll talk about uh, that in a moment with our guest tonight. Uh, we got a good show for you. We're looking forward to it. Uh, but the first news story tonight is a big one. Uh, Mexican Congress shown non-human corpses in a UFO hearing. A pair of alien bodies were displayed in Mexico's Congress on Tuesday as part of the country's first hearing on unidentified aerial Did they actually phenomena. take, like, they took the bodies to inside, the Congress? Inside oh, the building. Yeah, this was, this was quite just, a like, showcase. Wow. Yeah. UFO enthusiast Jaime uh, Mousen brought the specimens to Mexico City, claiming that they were received in Peru in 2017. He said carbon dating shows that they are between 700 and 1800 years old, this is the first time extraterrestrial life is presented in such a form, and I think there is a clear demonstration that we are dealing with non-human specimens that are not related to any other species in our world, and that any scientific institution can investigate it, Mousen said. The small figures resemble the Hollywood alien ET with an elongated neck, skinny appendages, and three fingers on each hand. Uh, really long made, ones. Yeah, he has made similar <laughs> alien claims before. With previous bodies debunked as mummified remains of children in 2015, the hearing was to discuss the aerial space protection law. Uh, this is interesting, which would be the world's first national law to acknowledge life outside of our planet if it passes. Um, now, to continue with this story, there's some other interesting things here. The supposed alien bodies found to have unknown DNA. So the small mummified specimens that Mawson alleges are extraterrestrials were brought out in two glass display cases for lawmakers to observe. The hearing was to debate language on UAP and the aerial space protection law 
if the language is approved, okay, we talked about that. Um, the National Autonomous University of Mexico conducted tests on them, which he claimed revealed had more than 30% of the specimen's DNA was unknown. 30%, uh, quite, quite a, a large number there, indicating that mm -hmm. they are not part of our terrestrial evolution. X-rays of the specimens were also presented during the hearing with experts testifying on Earth claim uh, that one specimen uh, appeared to be, or they had eggs uh, to be eggs or ovaries, while the other had implants made of rare, rare metals such as osmium. I and did I put some pictures up on Discord. Uh, there is a video too. You posted the video also. Yeah. Which I finished watching a little while ago. It was very... Very interesting. Yeah, that video was actually just made like two weeks. He had posted that video like two weeks before this happened. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, I just saw it last night. So, I, you know, I've kind of been letting it ruminate a little bit, like trying to figure out, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. what this is. I mean, I, I think you have to approach it, approach it with a certain level of skepticism because, mm -hmm. you know, fool me once, you know, fool me twice, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, there's so much happening in the world right now when it comes to UAPs and what mm -hmm. what governments are letting out that I think that you have to at least see where the science takes us. So I think it's okay to be skeptical about this, but I'm curious mm -hmm. to see if it goes anywhere. We'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about it off the top, Jenny? Well, Robert and I were talking about it before we started and, um, you know, it's kind of the same thing. But like I said, I, I want to believe that it's true. I want there to be mummified alien corpses from Peru. <laughs> yeah. But is it for real? I mean, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. And like the three but eggs, I, that, that, was, that yeah. was like interesting. The other thing, though, that I worry about is I think that I think there has been unexplained things that have popped up archaeologically over the course of our trying to figure out our own history that have been swept under the rug because people don't want to fit it. They don't want to try to figure out where to fit it in. So I would hate for this to really be the real thing. And then they just magically disappear, you know, like things do. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little, you know, well, I'll keep everyone up to date as this, uh, as this progresses, if you're not following it yourself, I'll be posting stuff and we'll be talking about it. If anything else comes out, uh, about this on the show, you know, the thing that, the thing that really drew my attention at first, when all this kind of came out, this craziness came out was just that the Congress in Mexico is having the same, you know, talks that the United States Congress is having. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, it's re it's refreshing to see that uh, it seems that and, governments are taking this what? seriously. Uh, but are know. they? Or are they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Um, there's something <laughs> going on, uh, you know, and months later, I keep saying, I, I can't sound like a broken record. I think something's going on. I feel like we could be seeing some kind of disclosure. But then at the same time, it's like, is there an ul ulterior motive? Um, mm-hmm. Now, yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember the na the um, Air Force intelligence officer's name. I think it's Graves. He was there also. In the, the one, at the Mexico one. Yes. Oh, uh, that's he, weird. He went to that one. He actually released. Uh, I saw on his uh, X account today, formerly known as Twitter, um, that he was kind of upset at the mummies being shown there because he was afraid that 
it was going to remove the legitimacy of the hearing. That UFO skeptics were going to be able to look at that hearing and look at those mummies and be like, look, this is a freak show. It's not actual science. Mm-hmm. And um, so he he put out on his Twitter today or X, sorry, that, uh, yeah, exactly that, that like, you know, he hopes that that goes somewhere, but he thought it was kind of a circus sideshow that was taking away from the actual hearings there. So we'll see what happens. Mm. Um, hopefully, hopefully we do see what happens and it doesn't just like <laughs> disappear. I mean, it's really weird. I mean, the, definitely not your typical mummy. Uh, of course, there's lots mm-hmm. of cultural differences and things that ancient peoples used to do that could change how we looked. I mean, we've seen this in all different cultures around the world have modified their and so I mean, yeah, was there some kind of ritualistic cultures that have elongated their skulls, and, yeah. but I don't think that you can make three fingers like they, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Have you seen the movie, uh, house of a thousand corpses? You can do a lot of things. To, uh, <laughs> things. Once what's they... <laughs> the, what's the next story? Frousey? Go ahead. Let's Number two, not, here. not in the Yucatan anymore. Hurricane Idalia flung a flamingos across the eastern oh, u.s i heard about this we have flamingos now yeah. apparently <laughs> flamingos have been popping up in the most unusual places since hurricane adalia blew through parts of the u.s southeast last week in recent days dozens of sightings have reported from texas to florida as far north as pennsylvania and most states in between although flamingos can be found in parts of florida it's safe to say they don't frequently hang out farther north in the states such as kentucky tennessee and uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, and one actually found in Ohio. We're seeing flamingos yeah. all over the place. We're seeing them in places that we didn't expect them. The Elated. illustrious Ohio flamingo. Yeah. <laughs> Elated bird watchers have been searching high and low for them. And then one, uh, once the pair of birds were found in southern Ohio, sort of everything kind of broke loose. Are you serious? CNC mm. saw a flamingo in Canada? Are you really, like, for real? They got, they got flamingos in Alaska now, too? Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, if a hurricane was going to do anything, dropping flamingos all over the country. I mean, that's kind of magic, isn't it? Yeah. So the, the, the story finishes up, according to counsel, in the American Birding Association's Rare Bird Alert Facebook page. There have been sightings in at least 10 states, Florida, Ohio, North and South, Kakalaki, Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Texas and Kentucky. And CMC so. took a picture of one in Victoria, Canada last week. Well, we're wow. have, you have to submit that over there at that hot site, American Birding Association over there on yeah. Facebook. And uh, let the them know. The Canadian flamingo. <laughs> the rare Canadian flamingo. Wow. He doesn't know yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. He just said, it's not the worst thing a hurricane has done. That's no, not the, Yeah. And, you know, they were saying that typically this this has happened before in hurricanes and they will typically migrate and find their way back. Yeah, home, so. they'll go back to where they're supposed to be. But they don't fun. know really how It'll they got there. Last. They don't know yeah. if they fly like to escape the hurricane or if they're getting caught up in the winds mm-hmm. or if they're actually stuck in the eye and maybe they just stay in the eye until the hurricane I would like to up. imagine that the hurricane just picks them up <clears throat> and then the hurricane's going about its business mm-hmm. and then they just up yeah they might fly in the eye to fly in the (laughs) eye there we go there's a good band name all right uh number three 
uh, cursed painting sells for more than 1,600 pounds after twice being returned to a charity shop. A cursed painting, you say? So Tell a cursed more. portrait of a little girl has been twice returned to a charity shop for being haunted, has been sold for mm. more than 1,600 in an online auction. The pairing went viral after it was pictured in the East Sussex charity shop with a warning on it saying, she's back, sold twice and returned twice. Are you brave enough? <laughs> so Elia Brown was the last person to buy the, the portrait from Hastings Advice and Representation Center. In August, she told ITVs this morning that after the purchase, she was chased by an unidentified black figure and took the painting back to the shop. Wow. Uh, she returned it to HARC a few days later to see if the painting had been sold for a third time. And on finding it still up for grabs, she decided to take it home and put it up for auction on eBay shortly after being listed. And uh, for an offer of 450 pounds was made, but that has uh, more than tripled to a final bid of 1,680 pounds. So it's wow. been sold again. We'll see if it gets returned again. Hoaxer said, we're tired of cursed dolls. We're going with cursed paintings now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you buy that weird artwork online, I guess. Mm-hmm. Go to Medium Jenny's shop and make your purchases <laughs> wisely. All right. Thanks for that plug there. <laughs> what else? So you that got was for interesting. Us? And that's that's all that's all I got for tonight. That was the news. All that right. was the news. Well, in other weird news, let's talk about our guest. Yes. So uh, tonight we have um, author Robert Beto has had over 30 years experience in Mexico as a student and an employee of a large multinational corporation. And as the owner of uh, an imports business founded in 1999, Suenos Latin American Imports, he was a professional researcher from 1990 to 1993. And in addition to his MBA and BBA, Robert holds an MA in Latin American Studies from the University of New Mexico. From 2015 to 2016, he served as the San Diego chapter president of Mensa. He had published three books and a coloring book and has been the host of the popular podcast and YouTube channel Mexico Unexplained since 2016. Uh, please welcome to the show, Robert Bitto. How are you doing, Robert? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So I, I have had a chance to, uh, uh, to, to get over, uh, when we were talking previously, I've been checking out, uh, your YouTube page. So, uh, Jenny has that up at pinned at the top of the chat. Uh, so make sure you go check it out, subscribe and all those wonderful things. And there is a lot of information over there. Yes. <laughs> like, which is a good thing. Yes, there is. Looking for, for years at all the wonderful things. It was well, you know, for paranormal fanatics, like I guess most of us here tonight, uh, there's lots of places to go where you can find something on aliens or something to find stuff on ghosts. Or, but this has, this runs the gamut. So if you're looking for interesting things, make sure you go over there and check it out. So I wanted to ask you first things first, how did you decide and, and, and what kind of went into deciding to try to put together the Mexico Unexplained over there? Well, it's a long story. I'll give you the, the elevator version. <laughs> um, I've been running a business, and I'm here at my business right now, Sueños Latin American Imports, as you said. This Saturday, I'm celebrating 24 years in business. Nice. And what I do in my business is I travel to uh, interesting remote places 
and I buy arts and crafts and throughout Latin America, mostly concentrating on Mexico because let's face it, it's easier to get to and to get around. But I travel all over Chile, Peru, Brazil, Guatemala, wherever, you know, and I buy these crafts. And so going down to Mexico a lot and also working there, as you mentioned, and being a student there, I've had extensive experience in the country. And while I've been going and doing my thing down in Mexico, I kept on stumbling across all these weird things, whether it was weird history, whether it was a UFO landing site, whether it was a legend or people talking about a local creature that's been living in the area for 2000 years or what have you. And one day I was on a plane from Guadalajara to Phoenix and I was settling into my chair with a magazine called Muy Interesante and it's still being published. And that means in Spanish, very interesting. Very interesting. And it's a paranormal magazine. <laughs> and when I was looking through it, there was an article about crop circles and I was reading it and there was analysis by Mexican scientists. There were photographs I'd never seen before. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in Mexico that never leaves the country. And sometimes it never leaves the region mm -hmm. where it exists, the mm -hmm. part of a state in Mexico. Nobody knows about it outside that little area. And if it does make it outside the country, it's very rarely in English. So I am bringing all of this stuff to the English speaking world. And I have 361 shows, two books and a coloring book. And it's never going to end because there's so much material and so little of it is covered outside the country. So I can keep going with this forever. And I intend to love it actually because it. it's so interesting. It's so interesting. So yeah. you started by importing arts and crafts and now you're also have added to that importing right. the stories exactly. and the legends. I, that's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, Hoaxers was already saying that I was excited about the coloring book and he was absolutely right. Yes. As soon as I was like, what a coloring book. <laughs> We have, yeah, we have Mexican me. monsters. It's Mexican monsters, and it has all of the 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 monsters that I talk about on my show. So all the cryptids and legendary <laughs> creatures. And it's interesting because people don't know a lot about Mexico. We we think about Clint Eastwood movies and dusty ta old towns and things like that, but it has such a variety, and mm -hmm. there. There is a counterpart to a lot of the the big things we talk about in paranormal and fringe type uh, research communities. Like there are two Bigfoot creatures, for example. Yay. There's a Loch Ness monster type creature, and there's a Bermuda Triangle right in the north central part of the country. So it's... Gosh, wherever you want to go with this, I'm willing to go. <laughs> it, it's so interesting to me. I, you know, I'm like a little kid when I talk about this stuff because it still excites me. And, I'm, yes. you know, it still fills me with wonder and everything. So wherever you want to go, I'll go. 
Well, I will say we have we have two right here. We have Medium Jenny Lee and we have Priestess of Wonderland in chat who uh, do coloring streams sometimes on Twitch. So I imagine we <laughs> might very well see. We might need this Mexico Monsters yes, coloring book. Yes, might be coming Priestess, around. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. There we go. There we go. <laughs> and we have to remember, you know, Christmas, it, it seems a far way off, but it's right around yes. the corner. So mm -hmm. it's not too early to start purchasing gifts. Okay. Um, so when we talk about what's going on in these stories that are coming out of Mexico, do you believe that there's a difference in culture and culture that allows things to be more accepted in Mexico, or do you think it's the same in the United States? What's your, what's your feeling on that? Well, it depends on what we're talking about. Now, if it's something like a religious apparition, for example, in the United States, it would be immediately poo-pooed. Oh, a Virgin Mary statue was crying blood. Pff, yeah, right. But down there, because of the deep religious faith, they'll take a different approach to something like that. And then also, when you look at things that have been talked about for thousands of years, creatures like the Nawal or the Tlawalpuchi, you know, there's like all of these different creatures that the people in Mexico believe have been around for thousands of years. They're not going to be skeptics about stuff like that. So there's more of an inclination, I think, to believe in paranormal and supernatural things down there and more of a willingness to investigate. Yeah, mm. I can see that because it's just some of it is just things that have been part of their daily life that people just talk about like it's, you know, like we would talk about a black cat or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a couple that I've, that I, you know, as like I said, I started going through some of the videos over there. There's some uh, that I, I saw that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about. So uh, one of the videos was talking about the version that the Mexican Roswell. What do we know about that? Well, it was a crash of a flying saucer at a place called Coyame in northern Mexico, which is really close to what they call the Zona de Silencio, the Zone of Silence, which is the Bermuda Triangle that I was talking about. So people believe this area, there are vortexes that suck in things from outer space, from other dimensions, and they crash to Earth. Well, in this case, a flying saucer supposedly crashed with a small plane, and um, it crashed and people saw the wreckage, and then the military came, supposedly, the Mexican military came. And then when the Americans came, because um, the locals saw the Americans, and they always assume that it's NASA. I mean, throughout Mexico, whenever someone comes to investigate, it's always NASA. That's what they always <laughs> Really? Think. That's interesting. So they, they, um, they came and found all these dead bodies, and then supposedly took the craft, whether there were bodies or not, that's up in the air. They supposedly took the craft to some Air Force base in Texas. So that's basically the story of Koyame. Hmm. But that's not the only, I mean, I, there have been, there have been reports of crashes and landing sites throughout the country. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the one that's the most known. In fact, 
on one of my buying trips. It must have been 2003 or 2004. Gosh, that's like 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I always ago, use 2003. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. You know, you sound like us, Robert. But... We're the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but so I was, whenever I go down in country, I usually hire drivers like trucks and stuff because I'll go up to a little village and bad roads or whatever, and then buy stuff. And then we load it in the back of the, the pickup or whatever, the van or whatever. And I usually hire a driver and I chit chat with them or whatever. And we were on this road, we went through this little town and there was all this talk about a flying saucer that had landed in a field. And um, it's interesting because it's so Mexico that we, we went close to it and we heard that the guy who owned the field was charging 25 pesos <laughs> to go. <laughs> There's always some little capitalistic edge yeah. going on, you know? So was like let's go i'll pay for your admission you know i said to the driver and the driver said no because he was afraid of radiation and i was like mm. i'm stuck i couldn't yeah. do it but um yeah there are other there are other stories of crashes the most one of the most famous ones in mexico that hasn't really come out of the country was the crash outside of Mexico City that happened in 1949. So that was two mm -hmm. years after Roswell. Uh -huh. And once again, we hear the same thing. It was almost identical to what we hear about Roswell. There was a crash saucer. There, was, there were alien bodies. And there were um, strange pieces of metal with inscriptions on them. It was almost... Uh -huh. Uh, an exact blueprint of that but as most people know the roswell incident was kind of hushed for a while so i'm not sure how many people in 1949 two years after that happened knew all of those same details mm -hmm. but um there were only a few witnesses to that crash and they were harassed they were interviewed by the U.S. military. There was a military attache in Mexico City who was interviewing and harassing these people. And the whole thing went nowhere. There were rumors that, once again, the U.S. went down there and carted away the, uh -huh. the remains and sent them to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. I believe it. Same yeah so <laughs> it um, was nasa yeah they're cool <laughs> right before nasa <laughs> but um so yeah there there are stories about different crashes there was one in puebla in the early 70s that the that the saucer going down to earth was actually caught by a film crew who was filming a movie oh, at wow. the time yeah um and the some people think that that was they explained it away as a soviet satellite that fell to earth mm. um then some people were saying no it was a russian experimental craft that was like a flying saucer and they try to explain that away too so How the mexicans here, like to blame stuff on the russians too well <laughs> back then <laughs> you know the the story though about the russians i think it was the americans who were saying that oh yeah mm -hmm. of course we were <laughs> so i you know i don't know but 
it's always explained away in a nice tidy little thing and then Uh there's nothing to it yeah but you know in your news you were talking about Jaime Maussan bringing those alien bodies to the Congress. Now, he is the grandfather of UFO research in Mexico, the abuelo of um, UFO research. He's been writing about and broadcasting about it since about 1970. And he was involved with one of the first official disclosure type incidents that a national government ever did and that was in 2004 when um i did a show called the mexican air force versus the flying saucers and over the coast of the state of campeche in the gulf of mexico a squadron of air force planes uh they encountered these flying discs and it was strange because they were showing up on radar, they weren't showing up on radar, blah, 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 whatever. And there was all this controversy to hit the tabloid press. And then the Mexican government said, and this was 2004, Mexican government said, okay, enough of this. We're going to actually investigate this and make it all public. And wow. so they called in Jaime Maussan and they they did an investigation that was inconclusive. And an American... Right. An American TV show from, I don't know, the Discovery Channel went down there and claimed that it was fires from oil platforms in the Gulf of Mexico, that uh. that's what they were picking up. And that's kind of funny because they moved, they were on radar. Yeah. And it was like a, a nicely, tightly knit bow that they put on this package And that's it. Nothing to see here. So people know what fire looks like. There is not disc shape. And then people came out and said, well, you know, they're making fun because it's the Mexican Air Force. Ha ha ha. But these pilots had thousands and thousands of hours of experience and they know what's what Mm -hmm. when they're in the sky. And I'm sure they also know what fire looks like. And I'm yeah. sure it was fire yeah. down below on the in the Gulf on these platforms. It's something different from seeing yeah. something at eye level. Mm-hmm. You know, I no, no sense. No. Yeah, no sense. Well, you know, since we're kind of talking about uh, Jaime Malsan, we talked a little bit about uh, before the show when we went through the news. Uh, obviously, you know more about him than I do. I'm just being introduced to him, oddly enough, even though I've kind of been into UFOs for quite a while. Um, so what are your thoughts on on yesterday's or, or the proceedings going on at, at the Congress there in Mexico? Well, it's really hard to try to figure out what's happening. And I think Jenny said something about this, you know, like what's really behind this and what's really going on. Because I think there's some alter, ulterior motive here and we don't know what it is yet. And it's hard to guess... It's hard to guess motives of people anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. People always try to put me in a corner. Now, why would someone do that? And I'm like, you think I'm in on it? I don't know. I don't know the motives of people. But it was really interesting. He has been associated, Jaime Maussan has been associated with really serious research like the Campeche incident that I talked about in um, the Mexican Air Force versus the Flying Saucers. 
he's been associated with really serious stuff, but then he's been associated with, you know, tabloid type bat boy level, you know, weird hoax stuff that's, you know, that he approaches it. It seems like he's approaching everything seriously. You know, that's what he does. That's his thing. Even something that we would look at and go, oh my gosh, this is a fraud. He will look at it seriously and he has a team working with him all the time. And he's been doing this, like I said, since about 1970. And he he's like their primo person down there. And um, so what happened a few days ago in Congress with these bodies being presented, I'm not really sure what to make of it. But to me, they looked like so many other hoaxes that he's been involved with. He was involved with a hoax a few years ago with Peruvian mummies again. And they were children mixed with, I don't know, I may be confusing this with another case, but chicken bones or other animal bones, they made this paper mache thing or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And there have been other instances where he has investigated things that have turned out to be just borderline laughable. But like mm -hmm. I said, he's always he always approaches things seriously and objectively. Well, you know, that's one of the things that we've we've talked about before, you know, is that Sometimes you have people who are approaching their job seriously, but maybe, I mean, you, you don't know, but like maybe they were asked by the government to create this information just to make this all look like That's a true. joke. That way people, you know. Right. And, you know, people, if, if a government or some sort of agency or organization has a plan, okay, they're usually in it for the long term. They're uh -huh. playing a long game. Yes. And like I said, Jaime Maussan has been around for well over 50 years. And so, you know, he could be their guy that they're uh -huh. using. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're doing, they could, let's say it's an American-based hoax. They're doing it in Mexico as kind of like a proxy. Yes. Maybe uh -huh. to avoid legal issues, you know, uh -huh. I don't know. But yeah. like I said, it's hard to... It's hard to determine the motives behind things because unless you're in on it, you're not going to know. You're just going to speculate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had some questions mm -hmm. from our pilot friend, CMC Airbus, mm -hmm. about the, um, the Air Force incident. So he was wondering if you knew if it was ground-based radar or radar on the aircraft that was picking up the information. I think it was both. Mm-hmm. I think if I remember correctly, yeah, it was both. And then, and he, oh, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Uh, then he had another question too, if you, if you know this, um, if you knew what, what kind, oh no, wait a minute, what does it say? What were the Mexican Air Force pilots flying? Do you know what kind oh, no. of planes they're flying? No. Yeah. Sorry. Well, yeah. he's a, he's a pilot, so he needs to know these things. Yeah. He always I think is, it's yeah. in the show. It's oh, in yeah, the okay. show and you know, some people will ask me details of my shows that I've recorded like five or six years ago. And yeah. I have to be honest, I have to be honest with this, that sometimes I'm so busy with, you know, my business and everything. I will do some really quick, but deep and thorough research and I'll put together a show, you know, really mm -hmm. hastily and it, it covers everything and it's, you know, just fine. 
and then I dump it. And it kind mm -hmm. of reminds me like studying for a chemistry test in, mm -hmm. in high school, where you exactly. just cram for the test, <laughs> you dump it, and then you kind of forget the details. You know? Oh, no. And then you move yeah. on with your life. Yeah. I mean, but I, yeah, I think most people are like that. Yeah, There's only a few people, I think, out there that can remember I mean, that's every one of my detail. problems <laughs> is remembering all the cases to try to build up evidence. So I do the same thing. I'll do a deep dive and get really into a topic and write a paper about it or do something with it. And then a month later, I don't remember anything about what I had done. Uh, but somehow I can remember some obscure <laughs> facts about who led the National League in batting average in 1987. But other that's where my information seems to go for some reason. But um, so, you know, the, keeping on kind of the same thing we're talking about here, I, you know, you talked about these sightings that are in Mexico that typically don't make it to the United States news, which isn't surprising because United States news doesn't really cover anything uh, typically that's happening outside of the United you, you States. You can just finish that sentence, right? We're, we're right there. Yeah. They just don't cover anything. <laughs> yeah, they don't cover anything. Um, but if you look at some of the the most important UFO sightings in American history, they've happened in, in Roswell and the lights over Phoenix and all happening mm -hmm. in the American Southwest. It's only led me to believe that there has to be a lot of sightings that are going on in Mexico. Well, you know what? Some people, I've been on other shows where we've talked about this before, and some people have said that there are more sightings in Mexico than in any other place. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think Los Angeles is one of the leading places in, a, in the United States and Arizona. So it's got to yeah. be, I would think so. And, you know, that's one of the things, too. Well, is we was, talk. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the Battle of Los Angeles, if you remember that, that was supposedly, you know, people have said that those were flying saucers in the 40s. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, I mean, there's there's UFO sightings all over the world. We just don't mm -hmm. we just don't get to hear them as much here. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask about that. You talked about NASA earlier, and right when you said that, I was getting ready to ask, has there ever been any instances of, like, men in black in Mexico? Is that something that's ever talked about there? Yeah, it happens. Um, it happens every once in a while where the men in black will show up, but not like, not like in the United States. It's a rare thing. So it, it happens once in a while. And I was curious if there was a connection there between the men in the black the men in black and what you were saying about what people say about NASA there, where they, they, is that a connection there between what they think is NASA and the men in black possibly? I think so. If there, if there is a connection like that, people aren't talking. So, okay. I mean, the few men in black stories that I've heard, um, people have connected. There have been a couple where I've seen they've connected that with NASA you know these gringos show up and tell them to be quiet and you know and that's that mm -hmm. and then they don't talk yeah interesting hmm. well there was one other story i didn't get a chance to watch this video but i wanted to ask you about it because uh as i listen to podcasts and uh paranormal talk shows and stuff i would say over the last decade not recently but uh you know maybe like uh, around 2000 and 13-ish, I want to say, kind of for a few years, there was a huge phenomenon that every show that I listened to was talking about, and that was the black-eyed children. And oh, yeah. here lately, I have not seen or heard of that quite as much, but 
I noticed when I was looking around on your site that you had a story about uh, black-eyed children in Mexico. Would you like to talk about that one? Yeah, it's funny. They call them los, meaning that's the plural for the, los becs, B-E-K, black-eyed children. So los becs. And they've appeared, they started to appear in the Yucatan. And then there are other sightings in Tijuana and then a few throughout the central part of Mexico. To tell you the truth, I haven't heard of many recent sightings, like within the past five years. But when I did the show that I did on that, it seemed like they tended to cluster in the early 2000s. And it was the same, the same MO that you hear about in the U.S. They say, podemos entrar? Can we come in? Or uh, yo tengo sed? I'm, I'm thirsty. They ask for water or they ask to come in. And then so once they're in, you know, then it's all over, right? Just like a vampire or anything yeah. else. You, they, <laughs> you let them in. And so, um, yeah. And when they started to appear in the Yucatan, the press was theorizing what this could be. And once again, NASA came up and then the CIA. <laughs> this Damn NASA. <laughs> right. The CIA doing experiments, taking souls away from children. And then these children escaped from the experimental lab. There were all these weird stories that were coming out. Hmm. I was reading and they were like, yes, yes, this is gold. <laughs> but um, yeah, that the U.S. government, the U.S. is blamed for everything down in Mexico. It's funny. I mean, because, I you think know, Americans blame America for everything, too. So, I mean, that's not right. Yeah. So the price of tortillas goes up. OK, the dough for tortillas, that's like our gas prices here, you know, in mm -hmm, the U.S. Mm -hmm. Gas prices. Oh, my Robert. gosh. The it's president. Important. Oh, gosh. You know, it's all the president's fault. And then in Mexico, it's the price of tortillas or the flour to make tortillas. Oh, Hell that yeah. goes up. Tortillas you know. are super important. This is right. the most and important so, thing. Yes. <laughs> that's like their gas prices that they gauge the economy. And so if anything goes bad to price of tortillas, oh, it's the culpa de los Estados Unidos. It's the, it's the fault of the U.S. Mm -hmm. So a lot of when these paranormal things that happen that are outside the realm of traditional Mexican stories or whatever, they tend to blame the U.S. And like I said, yeah. NASA or in this case of the black eyed children, less so NASA, more so the CIA and experimental labs and, you know, abductions of children mm -hmm. and taking their souls away or whatever. But the U.S. Really is blamed for a lot of things. I think that's yeah. really interesting, though, because uh, Frosty was just talking about that before we started the show, that he really wanted to ask you about the black eyed children because he hadn't seen any more stories about it either. So why are these sightings just happening like this one time, this one point in time? Well, it could be. I mean, people people say the same thing about Chupacabra sightings, mm -hmm. about like the great UFO wave in 1965 in, in throughout Mexico, there was a huge UFO wave. Mm -hmm. Some people think that there's a more psychological reason for all of this, that 
one person thinks they see something and then it spreads and then it's like mass psychosis or people are, you know, wanting to see things. Mm -hmm. So um, like when the Chupacabra was in the news in the 90s, there were tons of sightings in Mexico. And then all of a sudden people stopped talking about it and it's like the creature went away. Yeah. So a lot of it is people talking about it. And I mean, you can say there, there are different ways you can look at this. Is it mass hysteria or are people creating thought forms? Now that's mm -hmm. the thing that we can look uh -huh. at because there is a belief, a deep belief in Mexico that you can do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, mm -hmm. you have the proper training, you can create things. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of, stories especially in colonial mexico like within a few generations after the conquest where indigenous people elders would get together and create a creature and then the creature would would cause havoc through the the spanish settlement mm -hmm. and um yeah so are people creating this is it like what do they call it in tibet a tulpa or is it something that's created a thought form or is it mass hysteria there are a lot yeah. of different explanations here but maybe black eyed kids hodgepodge of a lot of those things yeah it could be even a combination yeah, yeah it could mm -hmm. be a combination of a lot of things so yeah. yeah the the black eyed kids i haven't heard anything in the past few years and it's like a wave, yeah, like you yeah. said. Yeah, it came mm -hmm. on and it was the hot topic that just seemed to be coming on all the shows that I listened to, all the news that I was mm -hmm. watching. And then as quick as it came in, I, I got super interested in it, like what's going on? And then all of a sudden it was just kind of gone. And so when I saw it today, I'd almost forgotten about the phenomenon. I was like, <laughs> that, that's interesting because, it. well, I've been around a lot of teenagers and I can tell you, they're going to ask you if you got something to drink and if you got something to eat. So that's not too weird. <laughs> But uh, the manner in which they were asking, and uh, evidently, this is another thing about that I would always hear was that, like, what, you know, what horrible things would happen if you allowed them in. But then I never heard a story of someone who actually did. So it seemed to be more like an urban mm. myth kind of thing. Well, there was a story about a woman in Tijuana who just right across the border from where I'm sitting, you know. What did Sarah Palin say? I can see it from my kitchen window. I can see Russia. I can see Mexico from my kitchen window. Um, but there was a, an incident in Tijuana where a woman let the kid in and then she couldn't speak for three days. Oh. And she had this like sort of paralysis. Wow. Yeah. And then the neighbors in that colonia in the little neighborhood where she lived, they went and they tried to hunt down the kids there were two kids that showed up and one went in the house and so they they went on this like vigilante you know this quest to find the kids but they couldn't they couldn't find them other people saw the kids in the neighborhood too so i don't know what i wow. want to say about that but yeah hmm. yeah that was very interesting, interesting. Well, there was one more that comes to mind uh, since we brought up uh, Chupacabra. There was one that I haven't heard of before, and that is, what is uh, La Lechuza? Now, that one, you know, when 
people ask me, do you think this is real? Do you think that is real? Whatever. I tend to sit on the fence and I just kind of say, well, it's okay to wonder and it's okay not to come to conclusions. But I'm beginning to think that La Lechusa is a real phenomenon. It could be an actual cryptid. And what it is, it's a gigantic owl. And it's been mm. it's been blended with mythology. Okay. It's the the mythology behind this is that it's really a witch. And it the story is a marginalized woman, and it's poor marginalized woman. I you know. know. A little girl. A little girl who was made fun of and taunted and all that stuff, and she maybe wasn't so good looking or was weird. She ends up living in the the, the edge of town, right? Mm -hmm. And then she gets sucked into the dark arts, you know, and whatever. So the story that's the story that is like the, the typical witch story in Mexico. So in for in this La Chusa legend, it's a witch who is marginalized and whatever, and she turns into an owl, this gigantic owl, like six feet tall, whatever, with a 10 foot wingspan, and then swoops down and takes kids and um, livestock and kills, you know, kill your dog or whatever. And the owl will sit in a tree outside your door and will whistle or will cry like a baby to lure you out of your house. And then it'll swoop down and try to kill you. And then in this legend, if you shoot it, if you shoot this creature, it will die, it'll fall to the ground or whatever and die and then turn back into the woman who it was. And so, okay, well, that's the legend, but mm -hmm. people have seen this gigantic owl just flying around, uh, stopping in front of their car in the middle of the night. Uh, and the habitat seems to be northern Mexico and the Rio Grande Valley, uh, the Texas side and the Mexican side. Mm -hmm. And people will claim that they've seen this creature multiple times, even in Southern California. Um, there have been sightings. In fact, it's funny to read the comments. If you read the comments section of my YouTube channel about La Lechusa, you will see stories. And um, one person's story, and I wrote about it in, in my book, Mexican Monsters, he was living in the northern part of San Diego County, just right here north up the street from me. And there used to be the San Onofre nuclear power plant that they've shut down. And this guy, he saw the Lechusa a couple times with his father, and they were Mexican-Americans. And the father said that it was a regular owl who, the, the, the owl was eating radioactive rats that were <laughs> that were living by the power plant so that was an interesting twist on the story but yeah ooh, i'm inclined to believe that there could be this big bird creature because you know like i said at the beginning a lot of people think that 
Mexico is this dusty place or whatever, or they might think of Mexico City, this big megalopolis. But there are a lot of places in Mexico that are untouched, mm -hmm. that are empty, just like the United States. You fly, mm -hmm. they call it flyover country. Mm -hmm. And so there could be a habitat for this gigantic owl. In fact, one of my viewers who lives in Rio Grande City in Texas, on the Rio Grande, invited me to go on a Lachusa hunting expedition. Wow. <laughs> so I might take this person up on it. Yeah. Because he was like, oh, yeah, you know, we see these all the time. And, you know, we've tried to shoot at them and everything. And it took my neighbor's dog one night. And so I'm wondering if it's a real creature. Yeah. But there, if it is, you know, like so many things in life, there's a real component to a legend that goes way back. So yeah. the witch part, you know, could be some sort of embellishment to explain away this gigantic bird. Who knows? Or there could be shapeshifters. Maybe because in Mexico, in Mexico, there is a tradition going back three to four thousand years of unbroken history of shapeshifting people. Who are usually shamans or you know marginalized women for, for uh -huh, lack uh -huh. of a better term <laughs> yeah so there is a tradition so back to what you were saying at the beginning of the show there is more of a tendency to believe in this sort of stuff because there is a long long unbroken history there yeah wow, two i of like those. i like that one yeah i do too and then you know when you go back to the original cultures, it seemed like there was some crossover there between, uh, you know, cultures in Mexico and other cultures that were living in the American Southwest. Because I, one thing I thought about was like the Thunderbird. Um, mm -hmm. There seemed to be like maybe some connection there. But then I was also curious about what do we have going on Mex in Mexico with Bigfoot? Yes. Well, that is an, that is interesting. There are two Bigfoot creatures that have been identified, and one is called the Sisamite, and that is a skinny, shy Bigfoot creature who lives in the jungles. And that comes from an Aztec word, even though the Aztecs were not in this part of Mexico natively. Um, this creature has been seen in the Yucatan and in the jungles of Chiapas and Tabasco in the far eastern part of Mexico. The Aztecs were in the central part of Mexico. They have their influence throughout, yes. But this, for some reason, has an Aztec name. It, it was originally made, uh, it was originally called Zizimitl, which means demon, forest demon. And but the Maya, the inhabitants of the forests of the Yucatan in, you know, all the way from eastern Mexico down through Honduras, there's this legend of the Sisamite, which is just a jungle creature to them, like a panther or a peccary or a macaw. And it has magical powers, like most animals, they believe. Mm -hmm. And so it, this Bigfoot is a shy, timid, skinny um, creature. And it was first brought out to um, the outside world by a circus performer from Canada, of all people. 
who was camping and one of these creatures appeared um opening up the flap of his tent and stood there <laughs> so that was the first that was the first report of it outside of mexico that one wasn't so, so shy <laughs> right okay so um there's the skinny sisimite found in the jungles and then there's the big burly angry quatlacas and we'll go back to misconceptions about mexico most people don't know that there are four glaciers in mexico um, perpetual snowpacks on very high mountains mm -hmm. and so these mountains have alpine climates and you wouldn't think that of Mexico, thick pine forests going so high that the pines, you know, slowly fade away to permanent snowfield. And wow. there are people who are trained in Switzerland, Mexicans who are trained in Switzerland for alpine rescue, who patrol the tops of these mountains where they're extinct volcanoes. And the Sisamite has been spotted on these glaciers and also in the forests. And there are some forests in Puebla that only were explored in the 1860s. They're so thick, so dense, so remote in canyons and such that people had not gone there um, until that late in history. Wow. And so this big buff creature, which is separated from the, the most, you know, separated from the southernmost American sighting of Bigfoot by about 800 miles, and between the two uh, zones, the one in Mexico and I guess in Texas where Bigfoot creatures have been seen, there's 800 miles and a lot of it's you know, desert wasteland mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. So some people think that this is like a, a group of Bigfoot creatures that have been cut off from the rest of the North American Bigfoot yeah. population. And they're, they're like eight feet tall and big and muscular and very angry. And people started to cross paths with these creatures in the 60s when populations started to move into these areas and started to, to do illegal logging. Mm. And one of the first stories was how a group of creatures took some of the logs and just destroyed a, tr a pickup truck oh, and wow. stranded a whole bunch of these illegal loggers out in the forest. So this creature is a pretty scary creature. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's been spotted in, you know, on the glaciers just crawling at a rapid rate um so yeah that's well, extremely interesting that is because a lot of people don't know about the quatlacus nobody you know i talk about it i i say there's a big there are two bigfoot creatures in mexico and we're like what where would they live you know in the, in the desert mexico or whatever is a like, huge place pine forest yeah, yeah yeah and has all different climate zones yeah from, a glacier all the way down to tropical rainforest to uh -huh. you know the sonoran desert where it's 120 degrees and barely anything lives yeah so there's a huge variety of climates and different zones and so that's why there's a lot going on down there i think
Well, you know, that is interesting, but it, it makes a lot of sense because it's, it seems like, if anything, that's, I don't want to say evidence, but it's, it's uh, more, uh, you know, putting facts together about what the environment and what the, you know, the, the ecosystem of what these things could live in. Because we have mm-hmm. Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest. We have them. Uh, supposedly here in Virginia, like in the grasslands, but but supposedly more in like the uh, Rockies and Sierras and stuff like that. So it makes sense that you would have this gap through maybe the desert, you know, the desert, and then mm-hmm. have more uh, in the mountains. Which um, I kind of I don't want to necessarily skip over what we're talking about. But about a year ago, we had a news story on here about uh, Mexico and those mountains. Uh, I don't know if it's the same. I don't know if they have glacial packs, but they're definitely snow covered. And um, they had giants being seen on the top of those mountains. Had you seen that story at all, uh, Robert? No, I'd be interested if you had any links or any sort of information. But um, maybe those giants were the Quatlacas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone no, took a. I'll, I'll send you the story, and it, you know, it, you know, we don't obviously, you know, like TikTok videos. You don't know, but uh, it looked interesting yeah. uh, nonetheless. So I'll send you a link to that. Um, but yeah, someone's okay, like yeah. driving in their car, they're taking a picture, and like you see this mountain, and they zoom in, and you see this thing walking around up there, and it, looking at the size of the mountain, it would have to be absolutely tremendously large. <laughs> like, but didn't we think that it looked like it had clothes on? I don't know. It's been so long. If I remember correctly. That was a long, that was a long time ago. Oh, wow. Did the, did the quatlacas wear clothes, you know? No, no. But you know what? That's you were talking about. You were talking about the black eyed children being popular, but it seems like now every show I go on, they want to talk about giants. It's like the Mm -hmm. biggest thing that people want to talk about now. Yeah. Hmm. And um, if you want to talk about it, (laughs) I can go on about that too. I did Um, see that you had a giant story on there. Tell us a little bit about what Mexico's got going on. Yeah. Well, um, the the first stories of giant bones happened like within 20, 30 years of the Spanish conquest, because once the Aztec empire was kaput, then settlers started moving in. And the way the Aztecs farmed, it was different from European farming. European farming with a plow and an ox and all of that stuff, instead of poking holes in the dirt with, you know, with a pole and planting corn, beans and squash. So a lot of these early settlers were coming across these huge bones, like massive femurs and, you know, parts of skulls and things like that. And the king of Spain was very interested in this. And so all the bones went to him Mm. and um supposedly they're in madrid somewhere but in these early decades in these early decades they were unearthing these bones and um some people have said oh well they were just megafauna like um woolly mammoths and things like that Mm -hmm. but then other people you know they say that they were giants and then there were the myths and legends of the indigenous people there saying that some of the ancient cities were made by giants. But let me tell you something else. In America, 
we have heard stories in the 1800s or early 20th century of giant bones being discovered and then the smithsonian comes in right Mm -hmm. takes them away and then dumps them in the atlantic or something Uh i've heard stories like that yeah well in mexico they have something that is similar to the smithsonian the national institute of anthropology and history Uh it's called ina and the national institute the National Institute of Anthropology and History, based in Mexico City, has field offices in every single state in Mexico, all 32 states, and sometimes multiple offices in these states. And when anything weird happens, if they find some weird artifact or whatever, they are right there. Okay. Uh-huh. And they do their thing. And a lot of times they'll just shut down something. If there's an excavation that finds weird figurines, you know, of dinosaurs, that's uh-huh. happened. Dinosaur figurines or, you know, other things that seem out of whack, they come in and they say, okay, no more digging. Bye. Uh-huh. You know, we're shutting this down. So Mexico has something similar to what people claim the smithsonian did or continues to do like that that's that's exactly the thing that i was sort of referencing when we were talking about the peruvian mummies i was like things tend to disappear so Mm -hmm. you know what's gonna if they are real what's gonna happen to them like yeah Yeah, right and so as far as giants go i kind of have a problem with it in a way because even in america if you think about how many people live here now and in mexico too the population's exploded in the past 50 years so i would say a lot of digging's been going on in the past 50 years a lot of new construction where are the giant bones now mm-hmm. i don't know i mean Good were question. they all uncovered um i yeah i kind of have an issue about that i i don't know what to think and so you know, that's one of the things I keep on the shelf. I, I, yeah. I'm undecided about whether there were giants or not and what role they played. And so the Aztecs, when they first came to central Mexico from up north, some some place they called Aztlan, which some people believe is the American Southwest, they were wandering people and they settled in the central part of Mexico, there were ruins there from previous civilizations. And they ascribed a giant called Tenoch who built these big pyramids and stuff like that. Then I counter, okay, then the skeptic in me says, I've been on those pyramids. In fact, I was a tour guide at Teotihuacan for a couple of summers. I was an actual tour guide there. And I've been up and down these pyramids. I've been on so many Mexican pyramids, I can't even count anymore. (laughs) And those steps are made for someone with a size seven shoe, Uh an American male size seven shoe. It's like what I wore when I was 12, you know, (laughs) Um, because the people, let's face it, are smaller, five feet tall, whatever. But then someone will counter that and say, ah, but the steps were added later. These, these monuments will were built by giants, but the steps were added by regular sized humans, which happened to be, you know, of a smaller stature. And so that's the explanation there too. 
So I don't know where, what do you want to believe or what do you think, you know? I I think I kind of come down on the same, on the kind of on the same side as you there, Robert, about giants. Um, I guess it depends on how big you think the giants were, because as you were just talking about, we have, we're not that far from Jamestown here. They built like, uh, you know, like a part that you can walk through. I remember going through when I was a kid and I could barely fit in the doorways then. And I was like in late elementary school. And I think the average height of a male, you know, English settler or whatever was like five foot five. That was like a pretty tall guy. Uh, and even at the height of the Viking age, uh, those vi- those big, huge Viking warriors that everybody talks about were, I think the average male height was five, seven or five, eight, which today, you know, an average male, I think that somewhere around five, 10 or something, five, 10, five, 11, something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm six, six. So. If I were to be able um, to magically, I am a yeah, giant. Yes. <laughs> well, not compared to those ten foot ones. Right. And, and if yeah. I find, if I ever see a center, I've, when I went to college, I saw the center from the basketball team, and he was like twice my height, and he made me feel like yeah. the littlest person ever. Um, <laughs> but wow. if 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 I were to be transported back, you know, five hundred years, I would be a giant to them. Yeah. And so that's always well, been my question about giants: Are we just talking about? people who actually maybe reached the the maximum of what humans were capable of growing compared to mm-hmm. the people who are being essentially malnourished. Well, there's a story and I did, I dedicated a whole show to the white giants of Tiburon Island. Tiburon Island is in the Sea of Cortez or the Gulf of California. And this area of Mexico, it's in the Northwest, it's desert. Nobody really wanted that place. You know, no settlers were going up there. So it was the last part of the country to be settled. And so when people got to this island, Tiburon Island, there were stories of white giants. And so what people are, and they came in ships. So these stories were being told in the 17 and 1800s. And so... They could have been, I'm, I'm thinking this, they could have been visited. These people could have been visited by pirates or some other, you know, navigators, European navigators in let's say the late 1500s. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, then the stories just kind of simmered and, were told from generation to generation. And then when the modern world finally caught up with this area, it was already maybe 150 years since this boat had arrived there. And so the story of the gi- the white giants of Tiburon Island who had, every, every giant enthusiast will love this. They had red hair, right? <laughs> Just like we always hear. So... <laughs> Some of them had red hair. And so I'm inclined to believe because there was some piracy off the coast of Mexico there. People were, uh, pirates were going down the coast to prey on the galleon trade that was going between Acapulco and Manila, the Spanish Philippines. And so there were pirate ships that would go up the coast to California, all the way up here and hide in coves and stuff, and then just go south and prey on those galleons. So I'm thinking 
they went up the Gulf of California or the Sea of Cortez to this island, and maybe it was 1590, and um, the people saw them, they disembarked and were like wowed by these giants. And then generations later, then they were telling these stories to the people who would later be called Mexicans who came up mm -hmm. and settled in the area. So that could be based yeah. on a real encounter that just yeah. happened a couple centuries before. Yeah, yeah that, that red sense. hair. Those Vikings were going everywhere, evidently. Right? <laughs> they, I mean, that's that. That's but that was the big thing, you know. That it was running on the History Channel and all that stuff for quite a while. It's like, how far did the Norse go? And it's like. They never really found much. I mean, we know Nova Scotia. And other than that, I mean, you know, we, we were actually having a conversation well, about that the other day. There is there is a god or a demigod of the Maya, the classic mm -hmm. Maya. The classic Maya flourished from about 400 A.D. to about 1000 A.D. Okay. Their collapse was in the late 900s for the most part. And so there's a story of a Maya demigod called Votan. Now, what does that sound like? Um, yeah. And his, his, his day, because every god has a day, is Wednesday. Woden, Woden's Woden, day, Wednesday. Yeah. Woden's day. Votan. Yeah. Um, and there was a German, there was a German archaeologist who went down there and saw these similarities. And that's where we get the Votan story. But it's based on, you know, it's actually based on archaeological evidence of this archaeological evidence of the story, not bones and artifacts mm -hmm. and things, yeah. but, but evidence of this god just like all the other gods so he's part of this pantheon he's not very powerful but some people believe that he was a viking that was visiting like around eight or nine hundred a.d so i don't know yeah that, that, that is i get a lot of flack for that show too by the way because <laughs> <laughs> you know people will say oh you're saying that you know that these civilizations had to have some sort of outside influence and all that. And I'm like, no, I never come to that conclusion. No. But no, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting story with some interesting parallels. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. let's look at it. It's interesting to talk about. And I don't necessarily think that if you're talking about ancient cultures meeting each other however that happened i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing in diluting the culture i think it just shows that maybe the world was more globalized before we thought it was yeah yeah and i don't think that's maybe it was easier thing to get around yeah than we mm -hmm. thought it was or mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know humans have been around a very you know and you know, we talk about it, you go how long uh you know of, of hundreds of thousands of years or tens of thousands or thousands of years where humans are basically not capable of any technology. And then all of a sudden, boom, like we just, everything picks up, you know, um, but we I also mean, maybe keep there were times older where, where and was, older things. Yeah. yeah we older keep and finding older, older and older people. We keep finding older and older civilizations. So, Maybe and we just haven't found it yet. Different earth climates where the oceans were smaller. And, you know, uh -huh. so 
things would have been easier to navigate. I don't know. But um, I'm not necessarily opposed to it, which actually makes me think of something else I was uh, looking at over there. And let me go ahead and reset. Um, if you've come in since the beginning of the show, uh, tonight we have Robert Pitto on, and we were talking about Mexico Unexplained. So if you're interested in what we're talking about tonight, please go over to the YouTube. You can uh, type in Mexico Unexplained there, and it'll take you straight to that site so you can subscribe to it and there is a lot of content so and i also have the website pinned up at the top where you can find yeah. the books and the podcast and the youtube and the coloring book most importantly because i think i'm going to get one of those uh and all of the wonderful things that robert has for mexico unexplained and if you're listening later on the podcast i'll be linked down in the description below too. uh youtube uh, Mexico unexplained and there is a ton of content over there if you're ready to go into a deep dive like I am <laughs> if you have some spare time in your hands and it's Friday night and you got your bowl of popcorn and you're ready to sit down in front of YouTube you got a lot of viewing ahead of you a lot of good viewing ahead of you or another thing I do where I like to listen to a story while I'm going to sleep so that's okay. an excellent place to go get that to get that paranormal and uh, weird fix for the evening minus when I'm folding laundry there you go. Everyone has their times. <laughs> but are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that before you go to sleep? Or you're going to be dreaming of all oh, these yeah. creatures and stuff? Yeah, that's what I do. That's, <laughs> that's what he does. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. So I did uh, see um another thing over there today that I wanted to talk about, um, and that was kind of what we were just talking about uh, other cultures uh, and their connection with Mexico and in, you know, Central America, South America, one specifically that was talking about the Olmec. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that is called the mother civilization of Mexico. And that is one of the first, it is, it's safe to say it's the first. Um, mm -hmm. organized civilization, complex civilization that that existed in Mexico and a little bit into Central America. So there's a lot of controversy about that. There is a lot of revisionist history. There is, everybody claims the Olmecs. Mm -hmm. Were they visited by the Chinese? That's a big theory. Were they um, visited by Africans? That's another huge theory that is like big, okay? And you get people who are into that big time. And if you do a show on something like this, then your comment section is going to be flooded by the, the pro-Africa people. So, and then also Polynesians. Um, there's a pro-Polynesian faction mm -hmm. of this too. I can see that too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. But it's interesting because I've been down there. And in, in the 1860s, I believe, there was a lot of mystery about, um, there was a lot of mystery about where all these people came from, who built the ruins, who built this and who built that. You know, through most of the West's exposure to these ancient uh, ruins and ancient cultures there's been a big mystery about who did all this stuff well in the 1860s there was a french archaeologist who was excavating maya sites and he was saying this is not the lost continent of atlantis this is not egyptians this is not hebrews who got blown off course look at the carvings on the walls and look at the people who are helping me excavate 
they look exactly the same. Uh -huh. That mural of that magnificent looking queen in all of her regalia holding court on the side of that wall looks like the woman who's cooking tortillas for this camp. Uh -huh. This guy was saying, you know, well, duh, these people, their ancestors built this stuff. Uh -huh. Now, if you go to the Olmec area in Veracruz, there are people who are there who look like the gigantic heads of the Olmec. And people will, you know, geneticists and serious scientists who look, who are anthropologists, who look at genetics and, you know, body composition, the way the body, physiology, you will see in tropical areas, people will have wider noses and maybe flatter faces. Mm -hmm. So you see that throughout the tropics. You see that there too. It's hot. It's very steamy and tropical. Yes. <laughs> and you will see people who look like those heads. And you will see people that have some Asiatic features. You know, people look at some of these sculptures and say, that's you know, Ming Dynasty or whatever. But if you go down there, you will see people who look like that. And mm -hmm. they've been tested genetically, and there's no foreign DNA. And a lot of these people are intact indigenous groups that have had very little, if any, mm -hmm. contact with the outside. And their genetic profile has nothing in it that's African yeah. at all. Are yeah. from other places. But then then again, you have to trust DNA testing. And some people, mm -hmm. some people don't. say that that's a big scam that you can't get. I mean, so where <laughs> you have to yeah. please everybody and that's not going to happen. So I am inclined I mean? to believe that there, it's all indigenous made and mm -hmm. there is very little influence or no influence from the outside. And that upsets a lot of people. But I have to be be shown proof. You know, yeah. I'm not one of those believers. Um, so I don't know. I hate to rain on anybody's parade on their little theories. I've even had people come to me with so much documentation about India. India having contact with ancient Mexico and being the, the ones who seeded the Olmecs. So... I don't know. You're right. Everybody wants the Olmex. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. But you know what? Let me let me tell you a very interesting little story. And this is boots on the ground. And this is because of what I have going on, you know, in my business for 24 years now. I was in the back country of Michoacan. And in Michoacan, it's in West Central Mexico, there was a civilization called the Tarascan State, and they butted heads with the Aztecs, but they were a kinder, gentler empire, you know, more so than the Aztecs. And um, nobody knows where they came from. They're a, they're a linguistic isolate. They are the ones that came up with metallurgy in ancient Mexico. Some people believe they came from South America. 
But let me tell you something, a conversation I had with one of my drivers. Like I said, I employ drivers. And so we were going in the back country and he told me, um, I took some Japanese tourists back through here, you know, a few months ago. And they asked me, why are the signs, why, why is the name in Japanese? And I was like, what are you talking about? So the signs are in Spanish and Purepecha, which is the, the language of the Tarascan people. And like maybe a million people, hundreds of thousands of people still speak this language. So on the sign, it said Pyramide, which is pyramid. And it had a little dibujo, it had a little illustration of a pyramid. And then underneath it, it said Yakata. And Yakata is the Tarascan Purepecha name for temple. Well, it just so happens to be the Japanese name for an old temple. Wow. And so that's on the Pacific coast to the inland. Yeah. And so some people think that there could have been some sort of Japanese yeah. connection because that is an exact word. Wow. And, and I wouldn't have even known about this. Mm -hmm. Had I not been in the back country with a driver who happened to bring that up mm -hmm. and see, that's where the whole Mexico unexplained things, yeah. the whole, whole Mexico unexplained thing came from because there were too many things like this that were happening to me. And I was like, nobody knows about this. So, you know, I went home and I looked up Yakata Japanese connection to Mexico. There's nothing there. Yeah. So that's like open for research. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I travel across the Pacific Ocean at some point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's wow. It's, it, I, mean, I think, yeah, I think those things are interesting to talk about, not because necessarily another cultural group um, necessarily had to have some kind of change on another cultural group, but just to know that there was some kind of uh, going back and forth between cultures, I think, could be very interesting, especially when it's mm -hmm. just a notion that separates them. You know, it's not. Uh, so, yeah, that could be interesting. Like Easter uh, Island and stuff like that, that is you, another one. Well, it's interesting that you said that about back and forth. Now, that reminds me of something that I read in a comment section about Votan. Oh, yeah. I got contacted by somebody from Norway. He took a DNA test and he had 2% Guatemalan DNA. <laughs> and so he contacted me and he said, how could it be possible that this Votan guy went down to Mexico and then brought people back to Scandinavia? And I said, well, I don't know. And he said, because I'm scratching my head why I have 2% Guatemalan DNA and the rest is norse you know or northern european uh -huh. and i was like wow that's a mystery so wow that is interesting well you know what as as i do this channel and my podcast and everything i tell people i'm imparting information i'm sharing information that i've learned but i also have the right to learn too uh -huh. from yeah. my my viewers and i've learned a ton from people who have contacted me just like this. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the, the joys of, of running something like Mexico Unexplained because I'll have people chime in and they'll, 
add to things or they'll mm -hmm. tell me about something, you know, that they had heard about when they were visiting their grandma as a little kid down there in the summertime, they heard about some creature or whatever. So yeah, it's great for me because I'm always learning from my viewers and listeners. I Absolutely. think that's a great point. We, we were talking uh -huh. about that the other day. I think I was talking to hoaxers about that on my stream on Monday it was just, you know, I don't know if I be believe everything every guest has come on here to talk about. Um, I don't know if I believe in every alien, you know, UFO sighting or alien, alien abduction story or ghost story or, or whatever. But I think it's important to have these avenues like like uh, Mexico Unexplained and the Witching Hours to be able to have these discussions and to have to allow people to hear these stories and make up you know the mind, make up their own mind about what they think and hear different aspects of it. You know, for, for me, it's like, even if, if Roswell 47, you know, is Roswell 47, like this, this true thing, I don't, even though I'm kind of a, a crazy UFO person, I don't know for sure that that had happened, but it's a, it's fun to think about and it's fun to talk about. And I, and I think, oh, yeah. um, and, and we learn more about each other. I think the more we discuss these things. So, uh, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Uh, I think that's why we're here to just promote yes. good conversation and discussion and, push each other and, and see how, you know, learn from each other. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's pretty interesting. That, that, that's been an interesting one. There's, there's been a, a lot of stuff. The DNA tests have been a big one, uh, a big one that yeah. I, a big one that I talk about. Um, um, I teach history and stuff. And, and one of the things that I talk about is, is what you were talking about, these DNA, DNA tests. It's a popular thing, especially for Americans. I think, I think mm -hmm. DNA tests ex specifically for Americans, because I feel like a lot of Americans feel like they don't have a home. Like America yeah. is their home. And, but if you want to call someplace your home, you want to be able to know that your roots are there. And I, especially for a lot of families that I knew growing up, even my own family, it was well, my, my mother was from Virginia. My, my dad's from Indiana. And I would always hear, well, your mom was, uh, your, your dad's grandmother was half Blackfoot Indian. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and Every my friend, white person in America has this yeah, story. <laughs> my friend was, you know, his, his grandfather was quarter Cherokee and you have mm -hmm. all these stories, especially in, in white, you know, European background families. Yeah. And now that these DNA tests have come out, everybody's got some tests, Native American grandma somewhere. Yeah. There was no Native American <laughs> in my DNA and there was no, no Native American in my friend's DNA and there was no Native Not American in, in, nope. in Bobby Joe's DNA. And, um, it's you know, all a mess, white people. Just let it go. Yeah, and you know, and and teaching that specific part of history, which is what I studied in college, is it's easy to explain that because the, uh, the you know the decimation of the native peoples who lived on the East Coast died so rapidly there wasn't anybody to have babies with. No. So you're you're more you're more. And then whatever was left, they sent them out, you know, somewhere else to, the West. to live. And yeah. so you're you're way more. People who live in the West, I think, are uh, more able to find that connection in their DNA than someone from New York or Virginia or South Carolina or whatever. But it mm -hmm. does bring up like or these you kind have of to go myths. way back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, but I think it's what you brought up with the DNA test. It brings up a lot of things, but then it also allows you to kind of see maybe why sometimes these myths are created. And I firmly believe 
that these uh, having Native American blood in your DNA was a myth that served an important purpose for for European Americans, which was that allowed them to believe they had roots in the country that they lived instead of looking sure, back yeah. in Europe. It's a good theory. Yeah. 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 My yeah. theory. Just my theory. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. Only though. my theory. But yeah. So it's interesting. We had a question from uh, our viewer, Void Cat Loose. And I am, I do not know how to pronounce this name at all. So I'm just going to spell it out. She was asking, uh, what, where would you, where would be a good place to get stories and information on the goddess I X C H E L? Ishchel, the goddess of suicide. The mm. goddess of suicide. Luce, what are you oh, asking about childbirth? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Ishchel was a deity that presided over most of the Yucatan. And the most of the Yucatan was consecrated to this, this feminine suicide goddess. But like the like the the Catholic Ooh. saints. The gods and goddesses in ancient Mexico had different uses, you know, different functions. And Ischel had, you know, different aspects and different functions. So where would you go for information? I'd say mm -hmm. any general, you know, start at Wikipedia and look at the references and um, any general Mesoamerican text can point you in the right direction there's a lot of information about her out there yeah awesome thank you there we go so before we end up wrapping this up because we're nearing the time really, uh, it flew by uh, it yes does. it always does <laughs> <laughs> what is one of your absolute favorite stories from any of the categories that you have collected what's your favorite one of your favorites. It's the one that I'm personally connected to. Oh, yes. Tell okay. us all about it. Right. Well, I grew up in New Mexico, okay, which is kind of an extension of Latin America, right? Um, Spanish went there in the 1590s. But in the 70s, when I was in elementary school, we were going to teacher's house for a swim party. And because New Mexico is pretty poor, it still is, there wasn't any money for a school bus. So we had to take city buses down to her place. And when we crossed a bridge between bus stops, we looked into an arroyo, which is a dry creek bed, and they run throughout Albuquerque. They're cemented now, but we crossed and we could have sworn that we saw La Llorona. And I don't know if you oh, know about her. Yes, I do. Oh, my God. I was okay, just now, ready to ask about that when you started talking to okay, me. Okay, <laughs> now, there is a huge story here. Okay, so the girls in my neighborhood thought they saw her, too, because there was an arroyo that was not behind my house, but behind the neighbor's house. And the whole story is basically, for people who don't know, it's a woman who lived in colonial New Spain somewhere, colonial Mexico or the Southwest America, United States. And she was spurned by her husband, who was a handsome guy, either a nobleman or a military guy who cheated on her. There was gossip around the town that he did this. And so she took her children, always a boy and a girl. 
It never varies in the story. Took them to the river and drowned them. But while the kids were drowning, she had second thoughts and regrets and tried to rescue the kids. And she couldn't. So now she haunts the Arroyos, the Asequias, which is a small irrigation canal. The Asequias, the the stream beds, even the bosque, the 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 forest that's on the the Rio Grande, which is a pretty dense cottonwood forest. She lurks in these places to snatch kids. Okay. So we thought we saw her when we were crossing the Arroyo. And let me tell you, we all looked at her and we just took off running and we were laughing and we were because like we couldn't believe we were like hysterical and we were like stumbling over each other. Like Yorona, the Yorona, we saw the Yorona. Oh my God, you know, and all this stuff. Okay. So fast forward to the movie that came out. Did you mm-hmm. see that movie? We did. Okay. Yes. I did. And I just I to, was yeah. sitting. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go I was ahead. gonna I was gonna say that's why I was gonna bring up the story, because I, I was gonna ask before Jenny had asked. We have this, you know, Hollywood version of this now. So I was curious how how big the story actually was in Mexico before the movie was made. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. It's like one of the number one legends everybody knows about, the Llorona. But anyway, so I'm like all gung-ho, you know. I'm going to go to the movie. And I, you know, I'm sitting there in the theater and I'm looking up at the screen. Now, this is bizarre. And I'm looking up at the screen and I'm, what? What's that by the doorbell? Wait a minute. This is some of my merchandise in this movie that I only <laughs> carry. And then I remembered, you know, I sell to all over the world. I sell to a lot of people. I remembered I got a big order for metal pieces called Milagros. And these Milagro pieces some of them are exclusively made for me and nowhere else can you get them. And I remembered that about nine months before the movie came out, I got a purchase order from a studio just up the road in Hollywood um, for a whole bunch of these Milagros. And the the working title of the movie was called The Children. So I didn't oh, think anything of yeah. it. If the, uh-huh. if the title of the movie was called La Llorona, I would be like, wow, this is cool. My stuff is going to mm-hmm. be. But so yeah. I shipped off that order nine months before. And just, you know, I get thousands of orders a year. So, mm-hmm. I mean, dozens every day, whatever, hundreds in a week. So I just didn't think about it. But I'm in the theater and I'm seeing my pieces all over the place. And I'm thinking, what a creepy connection because I have a personal connection to the actual legend. And then here I am. My stuff is in the movie. (laughs) Wow. That I hope that answered Mm. your question about what's my favorite. Yeah, that's very good. I don't know if that was a coincidence. That sounds like a synchronicity. Yeah, for sure. That. that but is what does it mean? If it is a synchronicity, what does it all mean? The synchronicity huh? would be that what you saw was what you saw. It was for real. That was like letting you know. It was like the real deal. Mm-hmm. And I was really on a show. I told this story to a woman in New Zealand who is a medium and a a sensitive, a psychic. And she said to me, 
she kind of reminds me of Tangina from the Poltergeist movies. She said, Robert, I think that she sensed children. So she came out and made herself known. And I was like, I started to get you. <laughs> because yeah, yeah maybe you it guys were a bunch of children yeah. walking alone right. right did you have any adults with we you? were nope there were no yeah. adults we were walking uh -huh. across that bridge we looked at and then some guy some it's funny you know the skeptics or whatever there's some guy who said i was just some old lady i it was just some old lady who was just throwing trash into the <laughs> ditch you know <laughs> throwing trash illegally into the ditch what are you talking about like why would an old woman who was who looked like she was in her 70s dressed all in black why would she be down there there wasn't any trash down there it was just a dirt arroyo so wow i don't know that's real. That's a really great story. Well, that is a, both, I think that's a good way that. to finish this off tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> finish this. Off. La, La, La Llorona. Um, yes. Yeah. Cause well, I, Robert, we didn't touch on like just the tiniest fraction of yeah. the things that you could talk about. So uh, if you enjoyed uh, being here tonight, I hope that you would come back and talk with us again. So I yeah, I'd love to. Our our uh, crew very much enjoyed um, everything I had to say, and I wanted to say earlier, a bunch of them at the very beginning wanted to congratulate you on your 24 years of your business. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, it is quite a milestone, and yeah, yeah I appreciate that. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, everybody, make sure you go check out uh, Mexico Unexplained on YouTube, and you uh -huh. can navigate everything from there. Uh, Lots of good info, like I talked about before. Lots of good stories. Um, I already have it uh, subscribed to, and I will be back uh, probably this evening. So, um, yeah. <laughs> when you're going to sleep, pick a La Llorona one and go to sleep to it. <laughs> for all of everyone listening to our podcast later, um, you guys have a wonderful night, and we will see you all next time.